Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this podcast for College Success Formula members. I'm Tom Bodorf, co-founder of College Success Formula. The title of tonight's podcast is Understanding Expected Family Contribution Once and for All. The presenter for tonight's presentation is yours truly. I've been teaching on this important topic for, oh my goodness, over 10 years now. And my goal tonight is to help you understand this whole concept of expected family contribution, EFC, and just how important this number, this calculation really is to you and your family. Okay, so let's get started. First of all, I mentioned that EFC stands for expected family contribution. Well, where is this EFC calculation actually made? Well, it's made on financial aid forms. The only purpose of a financial aid form is to calculate your EFC. The most popular, the most common, most used financial aid form is called the FAFSA form, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. When you complete a FAFSA form, the only purpose of that is to compute your EFC, which is then sent to the colleges where your student is applying. All right. Now, what do the schools do with this EFC number, this calculation? Well, they subtract it from the cost of attendance of that school. So the simple equation is this. Cost of attendance, COA, minus EFC, expected family contribution, equals financial need. You'll see this term need all over college websites when they talk about the financial aid policies and so forth of the school. Cost of attendance, COA, minus expected family contribution, EFC, equals need. All right? So let's back up a moment and talk about the cost of attendance. The cost of attendance of a school is typically published on their websites, and the cost of attendance is comprised of direct costs plus indirect costs. The direct costs are tuition and fees, which is typically the big one, and room and board, which could be large as well. So direct costs are tuition and fees, room and board. There's two components. The indirect costs, there's three components, books and supplies, travel, and living expense. Okay, so you add up the direct and the indirect costs, and that is the total cost of attendance for one year of college. All right? Again, just to review, direct plus indirect. So that's tuition and fees, room and board, books and supplies, travel, and living expense. That comprises the cost of attendance of a college for one year. Okay, so how is EFC calculated? We know now what cost of attendance is. We need now to know how that EFC number is calculated before it's subtracted from the cost of attendance to determine your student's financial need. Well, there's four main calculations. I call them subcomputations. Four subcomputations to determine the total expected family contribution. The first is parent income. Parent income is typically the heavy hitter, the heaviest hitter of all in determining that EFC calculation. So what number numbers do they use for parent income? 
Well, they use the adjusted gross income right off of your income tax return, the AGI, and they add on top of that untaxed income. The most common forms of untaxed income that impact your family's EFC and therefore your need eligibility would be contributions to retirement plans like a 401k or a 403b or IRAs and so forth. Those contributions made in a given tax year are untaxed income that must be declared on the FAFSA form. The other common form, unfortunately, of untaxed income these days is child support received. Child support received is not claimed on your income tax return, <clears throat> excuse me, but it is included on the FAFSA form. Okay, so parent income, AGI, adjusted gross income, plus untaxed income. That's the income that will be used to determine the assessment against parent income towards the EFC calculation. The next is parent assets. You have to claim assets on the FAFSA form to determine EFC. Now, not all assets are declared, however. Retirement is protected. Do not declare the asset value of your retirement funds on the FAFSA form. The contributions are assessed as untaxed income, but the actual asset value of your 401k or your 403b or your IRA is not to be declared on the FAFSA, okay? The other big asset for many families that is not declared is your home equity, your primary residence. That home equity is not declared on the FAFSA form, all right? So we have parent income and we have parent assets so forth, so far. The third component that contributes to EFC, if applicable, is student income. If there's any student income at all, that must be declared on the FAFSA, and that does add to the expected family contribution. The fourth one is student assets. Any money in the student's name must be declared, and it's hit quite hard. It's hit at 20%. So if there's $50,000 in the student's name, whether that be in a, a trust fund, whether that be in some kind of um, savings account, or, or some of it is in checking and so forth, maybe some mutual funds and so forth, in the student's name, then those funds are declared and assessed at, tw at 20%. So if there's $50,000 in the student's name, that's a $10,000 adder on top of the expected family contribution. All right? Okay, I want to mention briefly another financial aid form called the CSS Profile Form. There's about 10% of the colleges require not only the FAFSA form, but also the profile form, only 10%. So roughly 250 to 300 colleges require the CSS profile form. And again, its only purpose is to assess expected family contribution. So why this second form? And why do only 10% of colleges require it? Well, the CSS profile form is used by schools who are giving away largely their own funds, their own free money, their own grants out of their own pockets, all right? And quite honestly, the FAFSA form, in my opinion, doesn't do a very good job at truly assessing need. The profile form, 
really does. The profile form is much more invasive, and some families I find are actually kind of offended that it gets so personal. But remember, we're applying for financial aid to try to get free money from someone else. So they really, when you think about it, have every right to get pretty personal, to dig into your own personal finances, to assess whether they're going to give you any free money or not based on what they determine to be your need. But the bottom line is this, the CSS profile form, its only purpose, just like the FAFSA, is to compute your EFC. They just use a lot of different algorithms and very different computations in assessing EFC. If you're applying to even just one school that requires the profile form and you complete the FAFSA and the profile, you'll more often than not see that the two EFC calculations are very different. Again, they use very different algorithms. They assess different things in terms of assets, um, in particular home equity. The FAFSA form, as I said, does not assess home equity. Do not include home equity as an asset on the FAFSA. But that is not so on the profile form. The profile form does ask about your current home value. They ask about debt on the property. They subtract the two, and that is, of course, your home equity, and they assess that home equity. And where it gets really confusing, and I won't go into this today because <laughs> I could do a whole webinar on this, they actually assess home equity in different forms, different calculations based on the school. Uh, some profile schools assess the home equity at a flat-out 5%. That's the worst-case analysis. If you have $100,000 of home equity, 5% is $5,000 added on top of your EFC just because of that home equity. If you've got a uh, million dollars of a home equity, that's a $50,000 add-on to EFC. But again, only for the, for the profile form. That home equity is never to be declared on the FAFSA form, all right? Also, the profile form asks about any kind of business value as well, whereas the FAFSA does not, unless you have over 100 employees. Um, but for small businesses, home businesses and so forth, small companies, if you have less than 100 employees, you do not include the business value on the FAFSA, but you do on the profile. If there's just one or two employees, you and your wife, they want to know what the value is of your business on the profile form. Okay, So that's why there's such a big discrepancy in the EFC calculation between the FAFSA and the profile. There's a number of other differences too, but those are, are two of the big ones, home equity and business value. Okay, so when do you file the, the FAFSA form and even the profile form for that matter, if that applies to you? Well, October 1st, is when these financial aid forms become available online, October 1st. And there's a myth out there that refuses to die that if you file your FAFSA and you file your profile form if required, uh, the first couple of days of October, that you're going to get all kinds of financial aid, that it's completely you know first come, first serve. Well, I don't want to ever encourage anyone to wait too long to file their financial aid forms. But it's a complete myth, my friends, that to get it in October 1st, October 2nd, even by the end of October, that's going to result in all cases for families getting a lot more free money. That's just not the case. And first of all, 
first and foremost, is the EFC calculation. If your EFC is much higher than the cost of attendance, you're getting no need-based money from any school, no matter when you file the FAFSA form or the profile form. Um, as an example, let, let's say the cost of attendance of a school is, oh, let's say, $50,000, and your EFC is $10,000. Well, as I said earlier, the need is the difference between the two. So the cost of fifty k minus the EFC of ten k equals a financial need of forty k. That family qualifies for forty thousand dollars of financial need. And some schools will meet a lot of that. Others will meet a small portion of that. But what if the EFC is eighty thousand dollars and the cost of attendance is fifty thousand? Fifty minus eighty. It's a negative number. There's no need according to their calculation. So if that family with an $80,000 EFC files October 1st, the moment that FAFSA form or the profile form comes online, they're not getting a penny of need-based money from that college. All right. So while I don't want you to delay filing the FAFSA and the profile as required very long, don't feel you have to rush out the moment that financial aid form comes online and complete it. That is just a myth. We tell most families that if you complete the financial aid forms by the Thanksgiving time frame for the coming school year, college year, that you're still considered an early bird. And that's absolutely factual. Okay? All right. There's a document called the SAR that's very important. What is the SAR, S-A-R? Well, it first of all, stands for the Student Aid Report. When you file a FAFSA form, within a few days, typically three days max for the most part, the FAFSA computation then results in a document called the SAR that simply summarizes all of the data that you've input, and the SAR indicates your official EFC, your expected family contribution. It's important to know that you can go on the FAFSA site, uh, fafsa.gov, and you can retrieve that SAR, again, typically within three days. And we recommend retrieving that SAR and downloading it to keep that on file, okay? Um, every year, there's a number of cases where we hear families tell us that, well, college so-and-so said they never got our FAFSA. If you download your SAR, that's essentially in a sense, a receipt. It shows the date it was filed, when it was submitted, and when it was approved. And you can actually use that SAR. Just send that SAR in a PDF format to the college that says, we never received your FAFSA. Okay, they received, again, we're talking hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of FAFSAs, millions actually, I believe, that are filed every year. So if they say they can't find yours, send them the SAR. There's a document number on the SAR that will help them retrieve it. Okay, so that's very important. Okay, and there's one more huge source of confusion this year, and it is called the DRT, the Data Retrieval Tool. This is a tool that's been available on the FAFSA form for a few years now, and it has just been... <laughs> plagued with all kinds of problems year to year. And this year is no exception. Uh, bottom line, we recommend to virtually every client, every person, every family, whoever asks the question this year, 
of whether to use the data retrieval tool, the DRT, or not, because you do have an option on the FAFSA to use it or not. We recommend not using the DRT. There's just too many problems with it. What the DRT is, in a nutshell, is when you say yes, use the DRT, it actually goes over to the IRS site and it retrieves your information, your income information, uh, how much tax was paid, all kinds of data off of the 1040 form and transfers it automatically onto the FAFSA form. Well, that sounds on the surface like it's pretty neat, right? Saves you some time from entering all this data, from copying all this data from your tax return over to the FAFSA form. Sounds like a neat idea if it works well, <laughs> which in some cases it does not. First of all, not everyone can use the DRT. There's some limitations. Um, but even if you can, when the data is transferred from the 1040 form, this is all electronic, of course, over to the FAFSA form, you can't see it. For your protection, the federal government has determined that they need to blank out those numbers. So you can't see if the transfer was successful, if it was accurate, all right, which I, I don't recommend this at all. I mean, I want to know if I'm submitting a FAFSA form to the federal government, I want to know what numbers are going in there so that I can verify them and make sure there wasn't a problem. I would rather enter it myself, okay? So that's one problem with the DRT is that the data becomes invisible that is transferred onto your FAFSA. Secondly, if you use the DRT, if you make a mistake on the FAFSA, you cannot edit the FAFSA. That's a huge, huge shortcoming, all right? If you make a single error, you cannot edit it. And then thirdly, and I think this last one, I think this problem was corrected, but um, I just heard this in the last week or so that for those families who filed the FAFSA early this year, like October 1st through, I don't, I don't know how long this problem occurred, but if they filed early, um, there was a problem regarding the student income. Whatever you put down for parent income was erroneously copied as student income as well which completely inflated the EFC calculation and made it completely erroneous. <laughs> Huge problem. Now, I understand that that problem was corrected and it's not doing that now. But by the way, if you did file your FAFSA this year, pretty early, the early part of October, um, make sure you know what your EFC number is because if it's way out of hand, that's probably what happened. Um, I had a family contact me and their income was around $100,000 uh, that they uh, claimed on the FAFSA. Actually, they used the DRT. And $100,000 of income then resulted in $130-some-thousand of EFC. And the assets were minimal, so I knew there was a big problem. And that's how I learned of this problem, where the parent income was being replicated into the student income field as well. So if you filed early, beware of that. You might have a totally erroneous EFC calculation that was sent to all the colleges, all right? Okay, finally, um, I want to encourage you all to learn your EFC before you file the FAFSA form, before you file the CSS profile form. For our deluxe and premium pass members, we have a wonderful software tool, an EFC calculator software tool available to you. If you'll log into your student's Guided Path Edge account, 
you'll see on there that there's an EFC calculator available for you. It's very well done. It breaks out these four components I mentioned, the parent income, the parent assets, the student income, and the student assets. breaks them out so you can see what these four subcomputations are that add up to be your uh, entire EFC calculation. So be sure to go into Guided Path Edge and use the EFC calculator. If you don't have the Edge account set up yet for your student, uh, send me an email and I'll be sure we resend the instructions to you, okay? All right, so that is EFC. And I hope that this clarifies to you uh, what the calculation is, how it's made, and some real fundamental foundational elements that you need to understand. If you have any questions about it, please shoot me an email or you can, you can text me. Our texting number is 949-234-6495. You can text me and I'll be sure we get uh, the answers back to you quickly. All right. So I want to thank you. College Success Formula members for joining me once again. And whether you're listening to us live this evening or the recording at a later date, thanks for listening to this. We're here to help you plan for your child's college success. You can contact us, as always, at support at collegesuccessformula.com or text us as well. So until next time, take care and may God bless. Good night.